In modern English, a cult is defined as a social group characterized by unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, or by its common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. Throughout church history, many groups have deviated from the basic tenets of the Christian faith while requiring unquestioning devotion from their followers. Often things like guilt, shame, fear, and manipulation are used as ways to control behavior and brainwash followers. So, what's the difference between a cult and a dysfunctional church? Does any group teaching false doctrine qualify as a cult? What about the Mormons? Jehovah's Witnesses? And how do we watch out and make sure that we ourselves aren't deceived? My name is Josh. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Gabe Rutledge. Gabe, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Good. I feel like I say that every time. Do I say that every time? You, you do well. say that every time. Yeah. I think you need to vary it up a little bit. If you would say like something more specific to encapsulate this particular hmm. day, what would be like one word that you would say just capture how you're feeling today let's get as specific as possible uh i am physically exhausted and i threw my mm. back out yesterday mm. yeah so i'm doing well other than that <laughs> well, I appreciate um, the honesty see yeah. it does feel good to be honest it does it? it does thank you yeah we we just we spent a week celebrating the feast of tabernacles or in hebrew sukkot oh, yeah and it is like yeah. a week-long camp out for anybody who wants to come and it's a lot of fun. The first four or five days, it's like you're on this amazing um, camping trip with all your best buds. And then, uh, yeah, by like day six and seven, you're like, all right, I'm ready for my own bed at this point. Um, mm. So that's yeah. how you threw your back out, sleeping on the ground? Well, I think it was I think it was vulnerable from sleeping on the ground. Like I was, I was gotcha. actually sleeping in a hammock. And then we had, you know, different people in tents and stuff like that around these. You know, we have this family, they offer up their property. And we have um, a big fire ring in the middle, and and uh, we build a, a a big sukkah, like a tabernacle, for our congregation. Oh, that's awesome, man! And uh, yeah, so we just everybody comes out there at night. We we've been studying through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, each night. But we wrapped oh, up cool. yesterday, and we uh we cleaned up the property. So I think between sleeping on the sleeping in the hammock and uh, and then lifting a lot of heavy stuff to to clean up, and then. Yeah, doing yeah. all that. I think I think I threw it out. Just isn't yeah. it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Like once you get to a certain age, you'll hurt yourself and have no idea how. Mm-hmm. You're like, I just yeah. I don't know why I woke up and I I can't move my neck this way. And you're like, how'd you do that? You're like, I don't know. Yeah. The other I think the other thing too is like for some reason we played copious amounts of volleyball in this field. Mm. I mean hours upon hours of mm. volleyball, and so yeah, I, that caught up with me pretty quickly. Like I was, so, when you were playing volleyball, was it like the scene from Top Gun volleyball, like you guys in jean shorts mm. slapping each other high five? And <laughs> was that was that how it was, or was it like it was more of the uh, whitey tidy dance scene? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's from Risky Business, my friend. Oh, it is? Okay, okay. Let's no, get your Tom Cruise okay. 80s filmology. Yeah. Correct. Oh, good. How are you doing? I see you got a, is that a haircut, I see? I did get a haircut, thanks okay. to Pedro, my yeah, that's right. 
the guy in my church that watches me preach and comes up to me and says, Best, you need a haircut. So, how's he? How's he doing? How's Pedro doing? Because does, does, does he know he's podcast famous at this point? I'm not sure. I've okay. given him several shout outs when you've mentioned my hair. Yeah. Um, he does a good job. Well, thank you. I don't know if he's listening or not. I've, I've never asked if he listens to the podcast. Hmm. But uh, yeah, he he always takes good care of me with that. Um, I don't know whether to be insulted or appreciative when he tells me that my hair looks terrible. I need a haircut, hmm. but he always lets me know when I need one. So. It's, yeah, it's good to surround yourself with honest friends. It is. It is. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, we're doing good, man. It's been a crazy busy season uh, just with church stuff going on. Um, but God's been gracious. God's been good. So it kind of seems like, and I, I don't want to take it like to a downer, uh, you know, because we're, we're talking lighthearted, cool, awesome stuff today mm. with cults, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the most lighthearted topic ever, but uh, it's been it's been a really challenging season of ministry. There's a lot of sickness going on, and people mm-hmm. in the hospital, and I've done several funerals for people who've passed, and mm. um, and then I think on top of that too, just the stuff going on in the world right now is leading to a lot of people being very, uh, I don't know, man. I think the word I just feel from a lot of people is people are just angry right now mm-hmm. is that yeah. fair yeah oh yeah you, you can like the anxiety in the air i mean mm-hmm. it is so interesting that we're living in like this era where we could literally wake up the next morning and the entire world like change like yeah. just you know just one one news story away from that happening and yeah you know it's it's really fascinating on a historical level that we're living in these times but also yeah you like man you have to really begin to uh, ask yourself, what do I put my hope and trust in? Yeah. Yeah, people are, um, you know, understandably concerned, I think, about stuff going on right now in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. People are angry. People are offended. Um, I'm just trying to, like, I think, walk with people through that and ask mm-hmm. questions like, hey, I know you're angry. I know that you're concerned about stuff, but are you are you trying to make a point or are you trying to make a difference? Like, Mm -hmm. are are you, is your anger actually leading to you doing anything constructive and is it making Mm -hmm. you Christ-like? And, and, and I don't know, these are all, these are all questions that I don't necessarily have answers for, but it's just been challenging. I think walking with people through the season that we're, we're in just in, in ministry right now. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. So what do you think about this topic today? Hmm. Colts, yeah, it's mm. it's a uh, little, little lighthearted discussion for for your day. Yeah, yeah. Make <laughs> yourself a sandwich, and uh, yeah, get ready. We're about to delve in some deep topics here. Yes, but yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't think. I mean, in this this day and age where it seems like secularism is on the rise, you wouldn't think that this would be a very big and impertinent topic. But it seems to be. Uh, all the more so. I think, I think like you, you said, people are looking for answers. People are looking for deep spiritual connectivity to each other and to something more transcendent than themselves. Mm. I think, I think people are looking for identity and, and like, and belonging somewhere. Yes. And when their, uh, foundation is shaken, whether it be through the pandemic or the economy or whatever, it's, uh, it gives them a sense of security to be, around other people and to be feel like feel like strong leadership you know over them and direction people long for that that's a natural that's a natural and i think that's a holy craving absolutely 
Well, and last year we, on on several episodes, mentioned just in passing just the QAnon phenomena mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how out of a time of kind of instability and confusion and uncertainty, there kind of rose up this group with mm-hmm. a seemingly confident leader that had a lot of answers and people were completely devoted to this movement and this following. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it, you know, it was bizarre. It still is bizarre if it's still going on. But at the same time, people still flocked to it because it seemed like at least this group provided some answers to some of the mm-hmm. nuttiness and craziness of what was happening and going on in the world around them, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think we gravitate towards people or ideas or leaders that help us make sense of things. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what really started the wheels turning in my head about this topic is... Uh, I think it was last year or the year before my wife and I watched a Netflix docudrama called Waco. Mm. And if you're familiar with what happened in Waco, Texas in the year 1993, uh, you probably know what that docudrama is about. It's very well made. I highly recommend it. Obviously it's got some adult content, so don't watch around your kids, but, um, Essentially, it was about the Branch Davidian cult in Waco, Texas. And if you know anything about the Branch Davidian cult, um, it's actually an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't know that Mm. until I restarted researching it. And so they they bought this track of land in the outskirts of Waco, Texas, and they built this compound called the Mount Carmel Center, and they began preparing for the Second Coming. And in 1981, there was a young man who came. His name actually was Vernon Howell, but he changed it to David Koresh. Mm. And he came to study biblical prophecy. And uh, by 1984, the entire group had shifted their allegiance to him as their leader because he claimed that he was a prophet, that he was a fulfillment of Revelation 5-2. So he claimed that he himself was the Lamb of God, Mm. which that's a pretty bold claim because most biblical... Scholars believe that's referring to Christ. And uh, he taught that because of who he was as the Lamb of God, he had the right to all of the female followers in the group, and all these men could not have sex with their wives, but Koresh said he had to have sex with their wives. So Koresh fathered at least a dozen children with members other than his legal wife. And um, he essentially kept these people thoroughly brainwashed because he said he cracked the code of the seven seals of the book of Revelation. He predicted all the events leading up to the apocalypse, and he told his followers that um, their job was to be the army of God, and so they started stockpiling weapons. And, of course, if you know what happened in 1993, the um, ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, uh, Federal Bureau raided the compound. There was a four-hour gunfight. Six of the Branch Davidians were killed. Four uh, Bureau of ATF agents were dead. Then there was a 51-day standoff between Koresh and federal agents. And then um, I still remember this on the news. Did you remember seeing this as a kid, kind of the yeah, yeah, news story? That. Yeah, I remember seeing Janet Reno everywhere. Yes. Oh. Yeah, Attorney General Janet Reno. She was attractive, wasn't she? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> who used to play her? Who used to play her on SNL? It was Will Ferrell used to play her on <laughs> SNL. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gosh. So she ordered because she was Attorney General. 
the FBI to launch a tank and tear gas assault on the compound at Mount Carmel. And then several hours after that assault began, fire spread through the compound and there were more than six dozen inhabitants who were killed. Um, some people say it was a mass suicide. Some people say it was from the fire that was set by the FBI. But Koresh himself was killed from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. And so I think as we watched this docudrama Waco and then after that watched some just you know documentaries about it, I think one of the things that I found just so perplexing and shocking was trying to understand how anybody could be deceived by somebody like David Koresh. Well, I think his first step, changing his name from Vernon to David, is it? <laughs> That's a good call, right? You cannot. If you're going to be a cult leader. You don't want to go to Vernon. Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah. That's not going to be helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think a lot of these people probably uh, suffered from, um, you know, low self-esteem. Suffered from trauma in their past. Um, had had identity issues. Um, you know, and and he spoke to that. He probably. Um, you know, touched a nerve in, in them in that and it said, you know, this is this is an end time movement. If you want to be part of history, mm. if if you wanna, you know, be part of this army of God with me, this is your opportunity. And he gave them direction, he gave them identity, he gave them confidence and um yeah, it's it's So do you think the appeal of a group uh like the Branch Davidians was certainty, answers, identity? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what else you said in that, like, uh, almost like an elitism, like you, you can be part of this Hmm. chosen group. The rest of the world doesn't get a chance to be a part of, but you can, that may have been part of it. You know, I, I'm not as intimately familiar with it as I could be, but that may be part of it. And, you know, people that I see, um, that are, that are borderline cults, you know, people that I've brushed up against, that is how they get drawn into those sorts of things. They like take, for instance, um, the black Hebrew Israelite movement, mm-hmm. um, which says that, that, uh, Africans are the real Jews and European Jews are actually imposter Jews or something like this. And, um, and in the future, you know, like Europeans will be subservient to blacks and, 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 uh, you know, it's all based on identity. It's all based on, you know, giving you, picking you up and, and saying, you know, you, you have royalty in you of some kind or, um, it, it's it's largely based on race, and so that really appeals to people. I think that are suffering from a lack of direction, a lack of identity, and um, and and mm. sort of feel like on the on the fringes of society. Yeah, so they can be given significance mm-hmm. through a group like this that teaches ideas like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it's probably not a monolith. I'm sure everybody joins for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. But there's probably commonalities there between why someone gets involved in this group. I, I sent you a video earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that guy. Is it Stephen? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember his name. But Hassan, it's, it's a, Hassan, I think it was. Yeah, Stephen Hassan. Hassan. Yeah. Yeah. He said something in that video I sent you that was so interesting because he was in the Mooney cult, the Unification mm-hmm. Church. We'll talk about that group here in a minute. But he said something that people need to know is most people don't join a cult. Most people are recruited mm-hmm. to be a part of a cult. Mm. And so most people, when they get into a group like this, they don't know that what they're getting into has 
that kind of destructive and manipulative and unethical things happening in the group. Mm -hmm. And by the time they uncover that, they're so deeply brainwashed and systematically broken down that they either don't notice or they don't care. Mm. Um, which I, I think that shows, I think that creates a lot of empathy and compassion for the people who are in these groups. Mm -hmm. That they're not just, you know, hey, I want to go join a cult where, you know, I give my wife over to sleep with the cult leader and bear a kid that's not my own. Mm. But by the time that they got to that point, they didn't even realize what that actually was because they were so deeply brainwashed and broken down. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this Branch Davidian group, it may not have started off that way originally. No. It, it, it may it may yeah. have been like a, a a legit training center for people who want to learn, you know, biblical prophecy. I, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know, but it seems like you get this um, kind of firebrand, charismatic individual who comes in, he kind of hijacks yeah. the organization and takes it in a more extreme direction that ends up being one of, you know, a, a cultish direction. Yeah, and that definitely seems like that happened to a certain extent. I mean, they were with the Seventh-day Adventist mm -hmm. church, and they mm -hmm. got really into biblical prophecy, and then Vernon Howell showed up, and then it just went off the rails. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about this. We've been saying that word cult quite a bit, and um, cult in its, in its modern meaning means something different than it did in ancient times. But when we say the word cult... In, in kind of modern language, what we're talking about is um, a group or a movement, you know, made up of people who are committed or devoted to some person, idea, or thing. So there's a group called the International Cultic Studies Association, and they specialize in this. They specialize in the characteristics associated with that. And so their definition of a cult is a group that has great or excessive devotion or dedication to some person, idea, or thing. They employ unethical, manipulative, or coercive techniques of persuasion and control. So, for example, um, isolating members from former friends and family, debilitation, use of special methods to heighten suggestibility of subservience, powerful group pressure, information management, suspension of individuality or critical judgment, um, promotion of total dependency on the group and fear of leaving it and that a cult is designed to advance the goals of the group's leader and that happens to the actual or possible detriment of members their families or to the community so according to that organization international international cultic studies association that is their definition of a cult does that make sense yeah yeah and i think that's a good pretty exhaustive definition of it because I think we tend to throw this term cult around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try not to do that, you know, because I would never want to some, call someone, you know, in, in my, what I practice is messianic Judaism as, as a cult, but you know, and I, I reading through this, I'm like, yeah, we're definitely not a cult, but um, I, I would be offended if someone called it such, but I want to be careful to not do the same thing um, that there are people who, who misinterpret scripture um, and you know, they go a wrong direction with certain aspects of scripture, but that doesn't necessarily make them a cult that just makes yes. them doctrinally kind of, you know, not on what I would, what I would say the right path, but right, right, right. And yeah. I think that's a very important distinction is that, um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, but just because someone teaches a different doctrine, even than Orthodox Christianity does not mean they're 
cultic. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a Christian point of view, though, I think we have to have kind of a two-pronged test. Mm-hmm. So f- if we're people of faith that follow Jesus, the first kind of test to see, is this a group that could be considered cultic or a cult itself is how consistent are the group's beliefs with the basic tenets of historic Christian faith? So things like Christology, like who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, are there any particular, even extra-biblical doctrine that's overly emphasized? Um, how does the group relate to the church at large? So if a group says they're the only ones who have it right, I think that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first-pronged test, but just because someone has false doctrine and, and departs from the basic tenets of the historic Christian faith, that doesn't mean they're a cult, just could mean they aren't holding to good doctrine. Mm-hmm. But the second prong of that test is how are power, authority, and control exercised within this group? And is there mm-hmm. manipulation and mind control? And if both of these prongs yeah. are kind of coming back and testing, yes, this is this is not good, then I think you have the makings of what would be a textbook definition of a cult. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, it's kind of like, uh, y- you know, there, there's groups, uh, like we could say subgroups of messianic Judaism. Like there's one in particular that I've, I've called out and I've actually, I've used the term cult in terms of, uh, labeling this. It's the sacred name movement that says yeah. that you cannot use titles or substitutionary titles like Lord or God, but you have to use the holy name of God, Yahweh, or however they, there's about 13 different ways that the sacred name movement uses to pronounce the name of God and all 13 different pronunciations. And and the people who align themselves with these different pronunciations of the name of God are emphatic that they are the correct way to pronounce it. So the sacred name movement, for instance, and I'm just taking this as an example because we can, we can run this through this two pronged test says, you know, for instance, um, you, you, if you don't use that name, um, then like, like, uh, it says in Joel two, everyone who calls on the name of, and then they put in their pronunciation of the name of God will be saved. These people in the sacred name movement say, if you have not called upon, literally called upon his name and actually pronounce, pronounce the syllables, then you are not saved. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's, this. This, so you if said, you don't know the correct pronunciation, you're going to get to heaven. And God's like, man, you were this close. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> you just mispronounced yeah. it just a hair off. And sorry, bro. Yeah. Well, you fell for this big grand conspiracy to hide God's name. Yeah. Um, and it, you, you said in, in test part one, is there any particular doctrine that is overly emphasized? Yeah, that's it. You know, with the sacred mm-hmm. name movement, mm-hmm. they overemphasize the literal pronunciation of God's name. And then how our power, authority, control exercise within the group? Is there manipulation or mind control? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Within the sacred name movement. Um, and there is this, uh, they have it wrong, we have it right. Um, yeah, there's absolutely this, This. Uh, you know, yeah. you need to be getting your information from this place and this place only. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the sacred name movement is absolutely, it qualifies as a cult. Yeah, and there's one group we're going to talk about today called the 12 Tribes Movement. Mm-hmm. And yep. there was connections within the 12 tribes movement and the sacred names of it. Yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about that. I was actually, when I was in Uganda, I was going to call you. I never got a chance to. But I sent you a text because um, I was doing some evangelism in this village and I came across a group called Isa Mosaya. Hmm. And they were very, very, very similar to the sacred name movement in their 
understanding of yeah i mean it was really hard it was like trying to you know nail jello to a wall trying to figure out what they were actually saying but it was very much kind of that same thing like yeah. only only if you do it this one certain way can you be saved and we're the only ones that have it right but it was even more inconsistent than what you just explained to me i mean it was literally like hmm. the one ugandan bible translation <laughs> that was the only one that was right and i'm just thinking man so every other African nation has a different African language translation that has it wrong because I mean it was just so bizarre mm. like I couldn't but there were people who were very 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 deeply committed to these ideas it just yeah it seemed a little odd yeah I've actually run into sacred name uh, adherents in Uganda as well oddly enough and hmm. it seems to be um, a, a, a problem that's that's growing in Uganda that I have to combat. I've actually taught on this at our congregation. I did a message called debunking the sacred name movement. Um, and if anyone listening would like a copy of that, I'd be happy to email them the link to that and they can listen to the audio. Yeah. But that's awesome. Yeah. Look at you self promoting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, and if anyone wants a copy of my message too, I can email. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. And I also wrote a book on the topic. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. I have nothing to gain. I, it's just, it's just been so, kind of a passion of mine to, yeah. to debunk this, this movement because it's so, um, it's so discrediting. It's so, um, unchristlike yeah. and I, I, I want it gone and I want yeah. people to wake up to the truth that this is not, this is not a, um, tenant of the gospel. Well, it can be frustrating too when you see somebody that's misled by that and they go down that rabbit hole and they start kind of getting into this thing of like, I was so lost for so long until I've discovered this secret hidden truth that only me and a couple other people have and I want everybody else to know it. And you're like, well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. that's, 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 that's pride more than anything. But secondly, yeah. I mean, is that a central tenant of the the Christian gospel, or is that just like this little weird peripheral issue that you're taking and making into the main thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's like Gnosticism or something. Yeah. So what are some characteristics associated with cults? This is, again, from the International Cultic Studies Association. And so they said that um, a cult is usually focused on a living leader to whom members seem to display excessively zealous, unquestioning commitment. So in the case of the Branch Davidians, this would have been David Koresh. In the case of the People's Temple Church in uh, California in the 1970s, this has been Jim Jones. In the case of, you know, even the um, Latter-day Saints, this would be mm. Joseph Smith. But, but even now there is, you know, what they believe is the living apostle who receives ongoing divine revelation, lives in Salt Lake City. Um most cults have a leader at the top. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, it's someone who is still alive. Sometimes it's someone who's passed on, um, like a Joseph Smith, but usually that's that's an association with that person. Uh, the group is preoccupied with make, uh, bringing in new members. So recruiting and proselytizing is usually what they specialize in. The group is preoccupied with making money. Um, Scientology is kind of world famous for this. We'll talk about Scientology mm. here in a little bit. Questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged and even punished. Mind-numbing techniques are used to suppress doubts about the group and the leaders. So even things like meditation and chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, 
if you're in Scientology, these are things like auditing sessions, debilitating work routines. They're all used to kind of break people and kind of scrub people's doubts and break them down. Uh, the leadership is excessively controlling. So sometimes goes into great detail about members should think, act, and feel. So uh, who they should date, who, who they should marry, even what clothes they have to wear, where they should live, how they should discipline their children, so on and so forth. Uh, the group is elitist. And honestly, man, I think this is, we'll talk about here in a minute, like not every church that teaches false doctrine is a cult. But not every church that teaches um, good doctrine but then has these manipulative practices is a cult either. But there are churches that can be very cultish in how they carry themselves. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is one attribute of churches with cult-like tendencies is they tend to be very elitist. Mm. That the movement, the group, the church, whatever, has this special exalted status. Mm. They're the only ones doing it right. Um, and, and when you see this to an extreme, like in the case of the, the Branch Davidians, the leader is considered the Messiah, mm. or mm. in some Eastern religions, like an avatar, and the group and the leader have a special mission to save humanity. So even the Jehovah's Witnesses believe they are the 144,000. Um. So it, that, that really, I think, is, is, is a magnet for people because they want to be significant. They want to be a part of this, this group that's elite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with that comes this very polarizing us versus them mentality. And if your family says to you, wow, you're in a cult, you've been brainwashed to, be, to, to think that's persecution. And you've been basically trained to think that if someone's concerned for you, then, well, that's just persecution, and you were warned for that and prepared for that. Hmm. Um, Groups leaders usually not accountable to any authorities. The group teaches or implies that exalted ends justify means that members would have considered unethical before joining the group. So um, you see this a lot with even like the people's temple and, California, uh, Jim Jones, there was some really unethical things happening there, but it was always, you know, ends justifies means. The leadership induces guilt on members to control them. Uh, Members subservience to the group means they have to cut ties with family and friends. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group. And members are encouraged or required to live in and socialize only with other group members. Anything else you see that on that list needs to be added to that list, or? No, that's really comprehensive. I think that's that's spot on, you know. And and uh, you, you hear sometimes you don't. You may be involved in different denominations. Those who are listening, um, you know, whenever you hear someone saying uh, like, you know, uh, sound it's kind of kind of having that that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Su- superiority complex, like, mm-hmm. and you talk condescendingly, condescendingly towards other denominations or other sects of Christianity. Just be really careful because you don't want that to spread like wildfire within your church or within your con- congregation. Yeah. Um. You always want to say, well, you know, hey, 
we're we're all searching for truth here. We're all on a on a path of trying to imitate our Messiah together. Mm-hmm. Let's not have this kind of condescending tone towards other groups or other other factions of Christianity because we see doctrinal you know discrepancies in their in their congregation or their denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so let's look at some groups kind of in light of that two-pronged test that we mentioned earlier. So the first prong of that test that we mentioned is how consistent are the group's beliefs with the basic tenets of the historic Christian faith? And the second prong is how are power, authority, and control exercised within the group? Is there manipulation and mind control? So we'll look at a couple of groups um, that are around today and just kind of talk about them just so, just so folks are maybe aware of them that, that maybe you have heard of these but you're not quite sure what they teach. Um, there's a guy by the name of Bob Pardon. He's the director of the New England Institute of Religious Research, and he um, kind of came up with this list, and I think this is a pretty good one. This this is the ones that, that most of us will encounter today. Uh, and, and one of the ones that he mentions, and if you're in the U.S., you've probably encountered this quite a bit, but I know they are international as well as the Church of Scientology. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting group because they will claim to be a church, um, sometimes even have kind of this thin veneer of Christianity, but if you really get into it, it's more uh, science fiction. Hmm. So L. Ron Hubbard was the founder. He was actually a science fiction writer. And so he wrote, do you know, do you know this? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's, it's still funny. Look, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. it sounds like the makings of like a movie, you know. It's like so. I know it's so far fetched. Um, but yeah, so he basically wrote, and I'm 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 summarizing it, like so. If you're really interested, you can go read about it. But he basically wrote that millions of years ago, there were aliens that were at war in this universe. And the bad alien spirits um, seeded the surface of the earth. And then as humanity evolved, these disembodied evil alien spirits possessed our beings. And this is what's to blame for evil, wickedness, disease, anxiety, all of these things. And so the journey of enlightenment within Scientology is to free yourself from these wicked, evil alien spirits through things like audits and all these things. And essentially to do an audit in Scientology or to have these treatments and to move further and further up the chain in the Scientology um, organization, you've got to pay. And it's not cheap. (laughs) This is why you have, back to our, our good friend Tom Cruise that we mentioned at the top of the episode, you've got actors and celebrities that are huge into the Church of Scientology because they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but this it's recently come to light that anyone who tries to get out and speak out against what is happening in this group goes through like significant character assassination and fear and manipulation, even like litigation. Um, it's a very, very, very dark organization. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Leah. I think I'm pronouncing her last name Remini from. Yeah, uh, Leah Remini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she's from uh, that show King of Queens. King of Queens. Yep. And she did a big uh, 
thing on Netflix talking about her withdrawal from the Church of Scientology and kind of exposes a lot of this. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that all of the characteristics and attributes of cults, um, Church of Scientology fits that bill. Mm -hmm. We actually had a detox center for the Church of Scientology here in my in my town here in tiny little Woodbury, Tennessee, mm. and it was shut down by the FBI. Whoa! <laughs> because they were holding people against their will. Wow! So I say the word detox very lightly. It wasn't really detox. It was people who were working their way up the Scientology ladder, and uh, they got to a certain point and said, "You've got." all these things going on, you need to go to a detox center. So they were sending them from like California and the West coast here to Cannon County, Tennessee, a small little town or about 3000 people. There was essentially a cinder block building that they were keeping people hostage in wow. to quote unquote detox. Wow. And somebody escaped neighbors called the police. The police took this person to the ER. This person said, here's what's really going on at this facility. And the FBI came and shut it down. Mm. Isn't that great, Ray? It is, yeah, and apparently they take a lot of this money that they move around and buy a lot of property. Yes, um, they buy up huge Clearwater, um, Florida. Yeah, yeah, Clearwater yeah. is one of those where mm-hmm. they just buy up large swaths of like commercial real estate, and downtown like whole blocks are being bought up by the Church of Scientology in downtown Clearwater. Yeah, it's really interesting. It is. A uh, second group that you've probably encountered, very popular, is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Mm-hmm. But you probably don't know it as that. You probably know it as the Jehovah's Witnesses. So this group began in the 1870s by uh, a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell. And he taught that Jesus is actually an angel. He's the Archangel Michael. He didn't physically rise from the dead. Um, and so in order to be a part of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, you have to deny the essentials of the Christian faith, essentially. And then you have to submit yourself to control over yourself and your family to the point where, like, if you leave, you're considered dead to them. Your, your family considers you dead. Um, the people that you've spent your whole life around consider you dead. Um, interestingly enough, most, most of the kingdom hall, Jehovah's Witnesses, if you've ever driven by any in a town, they don't have any windows, so you can't look in or you can't look out. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's, I guess it's probably one of the other, um, maybe, maybe one of the characteristics of a cult that wasn't maybe described in the, the list is that there's a degree of secrecy involved. Yes. Um, there yeah, isn't a lot a of transparency. Point. So if you ever look at like some of these Jehovah's Witness churches or, you know, uh, LDS churches, I, I think you're going to be oppressed to find some of them doing, especially even during COVID lockdowns and stuff, you're going to be hard pressed to find them doing like public live streaming of their services, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is, I think, an element of, of secrecy and, and yeah. exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the attraction to some people. Mm-hmm. You want to know what's happening on the inside of that building, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because you can't look inside. Um, yeah, so, and, and obviously, if you've lived in a neighborhood before, you've probably had someone from this organization knock on your door. Um, the ones that used to knock on my door when I lived in a neighborhood in Murfreesboro, um, 
<laughs> I really wanted them to witness to me. So I was like really hungry. They were, you know, I, they were telling me about this event coming up and they said, yeah, it's all about the atonement. I was like, oh man, I love talking about the atonement. Tell me about the atonement. And they just looked at me and started blinking and they were like, well, you'll have to come to the event to find out. Thank you. And just like walked away. And I was like, come on, man, let's do it. Let's, let's talk. Uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. And they like to have Bible studies in your home before they actually bring you into their building. Yes. And they're, they're very careful to make sure that it's not people like me, like, Mm -hmm. like, I wanted, to, I was like super eager and like asking questions and they're like, no, you seem like you think for yourself. Like they want people who just sort of don't ask too many questions, just take mm-hmm. it all in and whatever it is they say, then, you know. Yeah. Compliance. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I don't know if it fits most bills for a cult and this could seem controversial to some people is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormonism. So, that two-pronged test that we talked about, first is, does it does it fit with historic Orthodox Christianity? And Gabe, what's the answer to that? Is, is Mormonism the same as Orthodox <laughs> historic Christianity? I would say absolutely not. Okay, why is that? Uh, there is a lot of... I would say there's a lot of extra biblical quote-unquote revelation that comes much later um, post the closing of the canon that is held in uh, in high esteem on par with, with Scripture. I mean, the revelations of yeah. Joseph Smith are as authoritative as Scripture. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, weird speculation and mysticism involved with it that, that um, is, is very counter-biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say no. It it depart. It's it's way out in left field compared to yes. Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. So there's the teaching that Jesus and Satan are brothers, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate gods, and then the kicker of all kickers that good Mormons won't tell you until you really press them, and it's the statement that motivates any good Mormon to go out on mission, and it's this: as God is, we may someday become. Mm-hmm. And as we are, God once was. Mm. So if you peel back all the onion layers of Mormonism, what you find out is a belief that through good works and through devotion and service, we can become gods. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. God that we serve and worship and that created us once was a man who worked mm. his way into becoming God. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, they... F- it- Go ahead. I was just going to say that's a very problematic. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit out of uh, out of bounds, I would say. So I think they fail the first prong of that two-prong test. But mm-hmm. then the second prong, I think, is probably the part that doesn't get talked about as much, and that is, is their manipulation, is their control, how is power held? Um, if you If you truly start to get into kind of the structure of Mormonism and how there is the belief in like a living apostle that hears from God. And then there's all these structures built in within it. Um, it is exceptionally controlling. It is exceptionally manipulative. In fact, in certain communities like in Salt Lake city or in um, places out West, uh, it is socially advantageous for you to be a Mormon. And if you're not a Mormon, you you really can't get ahead in that community. Mm. And God forbid you ever leave Mormonism 
in some of these communities or, or you're completely shunned. You're completely cast out. So I would say in some places, not all places, because I had some neighbors who were Mormons and they were fantastic people. We disagreed on almost everything related to the gospel, but they were fantastic people. And I did I don't think the place they went to temple every week or whatever the place they went, I don't think it was cultish and it's structured, but I think as a whole, the entire organization is structured very cult-like. Yeah. Yeah, and there are some things that Christianity, normative Christianity, can learn from the LDS church, like mm-hmm. raising godly children or... Mm-hmm. Our uh, door knocking. Yeah, like... like <laughs> I mean, in, in, in some sense. Yeah. I mean, probably yeah. not that strategy, well, but... Well, like maybe apologetics, like how to share your faith and yeah. ex- and explain your faith to people because they, they seem to be very good at that. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, but yeah, I'd say, I would say that this fits snugly within the category of of a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's a, a group that, um, depending on where you're from, you may not have ever heard of. Um, I have heard of this group a lot, and and I thought that this is fascinating. This group had a center in my hometown of Dalton, Georgia, which Dalton is a not big town. Um. And not, this is it's a it's a not big town. It's a not big town. I didn't want to say small town because it's <laughs> not really a small town, but it's not a big town, so it's a not just, big town. I'm picking on the English uh, major here. Oh yeah, that's have you heard that John Cougar Mellencamp song? I was born in a not big town. <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, you haven't. Okay, that was his. That was a deep gut. That was a but yeah, there, of there was a twelve tribe center in Arcadia, Florida, not far from oh, Lakeland, really? where we went to college. Yeah, like an like so less than an that. hour away from Lakeland, where we went to college. There was a Twelve Tribes house. Yeah, so Twelve Tribes was primarily based in the southeast, um, part of the U.S. But this is a group that began in the early '70s by a guy named Elbert Eugene Spriggs, and um, this was a group that kind of came from Christian fundamentalism and kind of the Jesus People movement, mm-hmm. uh, the Hebrew Roots movement. Messianic Judaism, the Sacred Name Movement, which Gabe you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, but they basically believed every other Christian denomination was corrupt and had fallen, and so in order for Messiah to return, the Church had to be restored in its original form, as it was described in Acts two and Acts four. So it wasn't just this restoration of the first century Church, but the creation of a new Israel, which should consist mm-hmm. of twelve tribes in twelve geographic regions. And of all places to be based out of, they chose like Chattanooga, Tennessee and Dalton, Georgia, which I'm like, oh, okay. It's not exactly the new Jerusalem. I grew up there, so uh, I could tell you what's wrong with it. But um, Mm. basically, this was communal living. So Mm -hmm. to be a part of this group, you had to live in a commune. Um, All personal decision-making power, you hand it over to leadership. So even like how you disciplined your kids, how you raised your kids... Um, what you wore, where you worked, all that stuff you gave completely over to the leadership of this this group. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I watched a Dateline on on this, and um, like on paper, some may may you know hear hear us talking about this and say, "Well, that doesn't sound bad." If it's you know people who are loving leaders that love the Lord. Why, why is that bad? Well, <laughs> in real time, because humanity is corrupt, this led to all sorts of corruption and abuse and mind control and 
it was really, really, really destructive on a lot of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interestingly enough, if you go to Chattanooga and you eat at a restaurant called Yellow Deli in Chattanooga, Yellow Deli is run by the 12 Tribes Cult. Hmm. And it is basically a recruiting center yeah. for the 12 Tribes. But it's delicious. <laughs> if you've ever eaten there, it's really good. But it's open, it, you know, I think it's open close to 24 hours a day. And the people that run it are in the 12 Tribes, and they have that open basically to recruit people to be a part of the 12 Tribes. Mm. So super interesting. You're like, man, those 12 tribers, they make a mean Cuban. <laughs> they do, man. Good sandwiches, yeah. but horrible what they're doing. But Yeah, I think, and I think Arcadia, they, they ran like a bakery or a deli or something similar. They, yeah. so they all work in this deli, mm-hmm. and that's how they make a living, and that's how they support the home in which they, they live. And they all live, yeah, I think a common pot like with, with finances and maybe common pot with pot. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah maybe But so, yeah, they're, they're very much like, uh, like a hippie, Mm-hmm. movement like a very intentional like flower child movement mm-hmm. paired with like sacred nameism and the hebrew roots movement it's it's really interesting yeah. um but the part that really rubs me the wrong the most is is because i don't i don't think being in intentional communities is bad Mm-mm. per se it's just you gotta be really really careful because we're all fallen greedy humans yes. but the part where they they consider themselves to be like this new spiritual israel is the part that kind of ugh, like kind of grosses me yeah. out a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another group that is not quite as popular today as it was, like in the '60s and '70s, would be what many people pejoratively know as the Moonies, but the full name of it is the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity, or the Unification Church. So, Sun Myung Moon, the Korean leader um created this group and basically it teaches that jesus failed on the cross jesus didn't do what he came to do and so in a vision like in the 1930s jesus approached sun myung moon and said will you finish the work that i didn't finish on the earth will you be the one that (laughs) was just that you're like ah Hmm. hmm Uh, but it, I mean, all of the characteristics of a cult, the Moonies have from mind control to, um, you know, manipulation, their big thing was mass weddings. That's so so weird. Yeah. Super strange. People would get married, uh, literally meeting your spouse for the first time at the altar and you'd get married with like 40 or 50 other couples. Hmm. So, and, and some of that was like, we have to repopulate the earth with Mm -hmm. pure, children who aren't tainted by and they also said that um in the kingdom when when jesus returns to set up the kingdom which obviously moon is going to be a huge part of that because moon is you know the mediator between god and man uh that everybody's going to speak korean that is so strange (laughs) that's another element of many cults that i've studied is there's always a racial aspect to it yeah and that's strange yeah, yeah, like I mean, even even Mormonism had some some mm-hmm. racist undercurrents. Uh, yeah, it taught Hebrew. that uh, black people mm-hmm. were cursed by God until like the 1980s. Then suddenly God changed His mind about black people in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. like, what? 
Brigham Young had some some very racist material out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's always this like element of, of racism, and that's you know mm-hmm. the Moonies are no exception to, uh, exception to that. But yeah. yeah, that's why it's so important. We we you know we stay far away from a fixation on race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another group that um, is still prevalent today is the Children of God, sometimes called the Family. Um, this was a communal group founded by a guy named uh, Moses Berg. His actual name was David Berg, but he went by Moses. Um, a really, it was also kind of a hippie flower child type group. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they did that how they how they um, recruited was something called love bombing. Oh wow! Where they would basically send out women to sleep with men and bring these men into this group where sex was basically um, what what they thought was the way that people communicated love was through sex. And so there mm. wasn't really sexual boundaries within a marriage. It was that sex is like a, a good thing and there doesn't need to be any sexual boundaries in mm. that. Okay. So okay. then what began to happen, and this is the saddest part of it, this is like so angering and infuriating as children were involved in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And so that, I mean, that just that just breaks my heart. It makes me sick to my stomach. Um, children who were born into this commune were essentially groomed. Like um, fair, fair game, basically. Yeah, and it's it's very, 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 very sad. Um, and then this group was, of course, all of the, checked all the boxes for being controlling and manipulative. Um, hmm. I met a guy one night. He was on the highway changing a tire, and I, I pulled over to, check on him, see if he was okay. And uh, he introduced himself. He said his name was Saul. I said, oh, Saul, like Saul in the Bible. He goes, no, S-O-L, Saul, like Spanish for son. I was like, oh, that's cool. He goes, yeah, my parents were hippies. I grew up in a cult called the Children of God. Wow. I was like, oh. He goes, have you heard of it? I said, yeah. He goes, now you can see why I'm beeped up. I was like, oh. Wow. I was like, well, man, I, I pastor a church just down the road. I'd love to have you sometime. He's like, well... I'm going to party right now, but you can pray for me. And I was like, all right, man. So I prayed for him and I've never forgot that guy. Cause I mean, he just mm-hmm. had this like understanding that he had been so damaged by such a horrible, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It was just, it was sad. It was super, super sad. But yeah, that's, if you hear about the family or the children of God, that's what that is. And a lot of it, I mean, cause the government obviously has stepped in and, and broken up a lot of that, thank God, because mm-hmm. of how destructive it was. But, I mean, it's it's so sad just to kind of see what that group did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Christian identity movement. So this is a little bit looser of, of groups. It's not really a group in particular, but it still checks the boxes for cult-like, and that would be the Aryan Nations, Christian Identity Church, white nationalism, obviously the Ku Klux Klan. So... A lot of things you'll see in some of these groups is that they will say they are kind of Christian identity, but in in that group, there are these kind of differing deviant Christian tenets that Christianity and Christendom is kind of a white religion, and it's being destroyed or being taken away because of like... Um, you know, government conspiracies. And, and so these groups tend to be very militant, anti-government, very conspiracy-driven. QAnon was kind of tied within white nationalism. Um, 
Yeah, and again, a fixation on race, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, if black Israel that you mentioned earlier teaches that black people are true Israel, uh, white nationalism and the Christian identity movement teaches that um, Caucasians are the true, <laughs> true Israel. So nice. they can't they can't both be right. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that's a little bit harder to pin down because it's so there's so many different sects of that. Mm. And then the Nation of Islam, uh, black Muslims, obviously not a Christian group at all, but it's a highly controlling group. Um, and one of the obsessions that it has is that um, the white man is the devil and the black man is good and that Jesus was merely a prophet. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a group that if you kind of start peeling back the onion on that, it can be exceptionally controlling and manipulative and um, teaching people to shun others who lead it. And then the last category that um, on this list that uh, Bob Pardon put together, he didn't include this group, but I, I think it bears mentioning are UFO cults. Hmm. How, how familiar are you with UFO cults? <laughs> no, I mean, just just from what I've seen on the news and you have on here, you know, talking about Heaven's Gate cult and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. These are fascinating to me. <laughs> and a little bit like it's a little bit humorous but then more eyebrow raising and i kind of like squint my eyes and turn my head and like what yeah yeah it seems like there could even be you know like potential demonic oh def- i would say definitely demonic influence in these things like well you I remember mean, St- Stephen bancart that we talked about in the dmt episode or Stephen bancroft i think that's his name yeah yeah i think vaguely. that's how you pronounce his name mm-hmm so how he got into the New Age movement was through this door of UFO cults. Hmm. So like communicating with extraterrestrial beings through things like telepathy and astral projection and even taking psychedelics. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Believing that you're communicating with a being from another dimension or another planet. But if you've listened to the episode we did on DMT one of the things that we concluded is from a Christian worldview, you're probably communicating with a spiritual being Mm -hmm. that fits the bill for what the Bible would call a demon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So um, these are gaining traction. There's a lot of groups like this. The most famous one in recent years was a group called the Heaven's Gate Cult. And in 1997... There were 39 of their members that committed mass suicide, along with their leader, Marshall Applewhite. Um, and the reason they killed themselves when they did is because the hail comment was coming through, and they believed that um, their job was to ride the hail comment to the next dimension, I suppose. Hmm. But these are becoming increasingly popular, and those would tick all the boxes for characteristics of cults and things like that. Yeah, that's that's crazy and and sad. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so bizarre. It doesn't have the race component, but it has, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the manipulation and control component for sure. Yeah. Any other group that you've come across that you think would probably be on that list of maybe ones that we would come across uh, modern day? Yeah, I would say one that's growing in um, 
in black communities, especially in prisons, is is the Black Hebrew Israelite movement. Mm-hmm. That's one that's that's troubling to me. Yeah, um, it's it's borderline militaristic, but mm-hmm. very race oriented. The other thing too, I mean, if you walk into any place of worship, this is maybe just advice for anyone. If if uniformity in dress or uniformity in behavior is demanded by the leaders of that organization or that sect um it's usually not a good good uh indicator that the uh it's a good that's a good indication that that organization is not very healthy yeah Um, red red flag yeah yeah so so just look for anyone if everyone's dressed the same looks the same acts the same um it's just that's that's not a good and i think one of these ufo cults it might have been the heaven's gate they actually went so far as to like make their own uniforms with like space jumpsuits and stuff and Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you walk in and everybody's in matching track suits. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably a red flag. White, white Reeboks. And <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny. We had, um, the other night we were, you know, one of the last nights of the Feast of Tabernacle celebration we did this, um, <laughs> one of our, uh, favorite ladies that attends our congregation. She's the sweetest lady ever. And she rolls up with like literally a wheelbarrow load of, kool-aid capri sun packets and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) and she starts laying them on this table for all the kids to grab and i'm like oh wow we are uh we're we're sitting every night around a a fire and worshiping and having bible studies and everything but i'm like you know i was like this takes it to the next level now yeah it's passing out the kool-aid yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of funny we're joking about it (laughs) yeah well to that end let's talk about this question is it possible for a church that is, you know, a biblical church. I mean, a church that endorses historic Christian teaching. Um, is it possible for a church or maybe even the other credible Christian groups like a church camp or a small group to, to become cult-like in their culture? Hmm. And I think the answer you and I have both kind of suggested around throughout this episode, and, and unfortunately something that we've seen is yes, Yes, it is. It doesn't mean they're a cult, but it, it does mean that sometimes the culture of a church or a group can become cult-like. Mm-hmm. And some warning signs and red flags of that, um, just a couple I listed down. Uh, the first is veneration or adoration of a pastor or a leader to the point where the pastor or the leader or the leadership are almost seem as infallible or untouchable. Mm-hmm. Like you can't question them. Yeah, you, I was gonna say you see this sometimes with with leaders or pastors that end up going to prison, and their mm-hmm. followers defend them as it being some grand conspiracy, and they actually never did anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and not to say that like respect and honor shouldn't be shown to people that serve in positions of leadership. We're not endorsing you be suspicious and critical of everybody serves in leadership. But where it gets to a point where it's unhealthy is. There's no accountability. Mm-hmm. There's no, and it's not even like, um, wow, that passage of scripture we studied, man, that just really touched me. It was like, well, when Pastor So and So said that, or when Pastor So, or Pastor So and So always says this, or Pastor So and So always says that, it's almost kind of like, okay, who are we following? Are we following Jesus or are we following the pastor? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, a second red flag is when extra biblical teaching and fringe doctrines are taught frequently. 
And if you question them or you, you just try to practice good, godly, biblical discernment, um, that means you're questioning God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I always encourage people, you know, within the Messianic Jewish world, there's traditions, right? Some mm-hmm. of them are straight up out of the Bible, like do this. And some of them are just traditions, and we practice some of those traditions. But if I were to see someone not doing that tradition, I would not go to that person and be like, hey, you need to be doing this thing. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> because right. Because that's, right, that's right. Yeah. that, you know, but if they were to come to me and be like, hey, why do you do this? I try to make it a habit of being like, hey, I am so glad you asked why we do that. That's mm-hmm. a really good, it's just a tradition. This is where it comes from. This is what it's based out of. Yeah. Just so you know, you don't have to do that, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I even think of churches that I was in as a, as a young guy um, that my family was in mm-hmm. frequently. And I, when I say frequently, I think almost on a weekly basis, the message that was railed from the pulpit is you could only read from a King James Version Bible. Mm-hmm. All the women had to wear skirts and they couldn't wear pants or shorts. And any music that was modern or contemporary or had drums was not true music and wasn't true. It wasn't biblical. It wasn't godly, anything like that. And if you were just visiting, you'd never heard of Christianity at all, you would have thought that those are the three tenets of the gospel. Mm-hmm. KJV Bible, standards and dress, and rock and roll music is bad. Mm-hmm. The problem is, while it's okay to hold to certain convictions about those things, about, you know, I prefer this Bible translation, I think this is the best, or I think my family should dress this way, or I don't think I should listen to kind of music... If you questioned any of that teaching and said, well, I don't know, guys, is this is this really central to the Christian gospel? You were called a, uh, a rebel. Mm-hmm. You were called a, a dissenter. You, you were called somebody who was questioning God. Yeah. And you weren't questioning God. You were questioning these people who claimed they were God or claimed they were speaking for God. And, and so I don't think that those churches were cults, certainly not, but I think that kind of practice of you're adding things to the Scripture that may be your own personal convictions, and anybody that questions that, you make them feel as though they're questioning God. That's very cult-like mm-hmm. in your practice. And I see this all the time from churches who teach on things like Calvinism, which, by the way, that word's never in the Bible, <laughs> and I lean more towards a Calvinist perspective, but I just... Anybody listening that, that may be on that end of the spectrum, when you make that the main thing and anybody that kind of questions and asks, you know, hey, is this really the main thing? And you shame them. Um, that's very cult-like in your tendencies. And you got to be careful about that. Yeah. Um, but it could be with anything. It could be Calvinism. It could be Arminianism. It could be how your church does music. It could be any of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. When the group requires a zealous, unquestioning commitment, but it's not really to Jesus, it's to the group itself. Um, When there's an elitist mentality, that they are the true church, they're the only ones getting it right, they're the only ones who are truly spiritual, that's that's something that you got to watch out for. That's very cult-like. Anyone who leaves is shunned or shamed. If you're committed to this church, you're committed to the group, you have to cut ties with people outside of the group, and then guilt, manipulation, and shame are used as a means to control behavior. Anything else you can see as red flags 
if you're going to a church. Hmm. Uh, no, I mean, just like I said, you kind of, it's kind of packaged inside. It's just, just general uniformity or, and, or fixation on race. Yeah. That's yeah. a good, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Matching tracksuits would probably be one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kool-Aid would be two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, by the way, I went on a, a listening binge of Sandy Patty after our last episode. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know how I that triggered the memory of that, I but. think what it is is we're nearing the finish line of this episode and your mind's wondering. And so for whatever reason, when your mind wonders, you think of Sandy Patty every time. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. She gets me through. She just gets you through. You're like, yeah. hmm, I wonder what Sandy Patty's doing. <sighs> okay, well, let's land the plan. How do you make sure you don't get involved in a cult? We listed four. You take number one. I'll take number two. Okay. You take number three. I'll take number four. All right. Okay. Do number one. Well, I, I think first and foremost, we should read and be familiar with basic biblical doctrine and practice discernment because that is your uh, insurance policy that is the best repellent to heretical doctrine that's held by many of these cults. And I would dare to say that there is a high level of biblical illiteracy within many of these cults that we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Even my friends who were neighbors, who were uh, my friends who were neighbors, my neighbors and my friends who were Mormons, um, they really didn't know their Bible. They knew their Book of Mormon. They didn't really know their mm-hmm. Bible. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think number two, how to watch out, make sure that you don't get involved in a cult or group like this. Don't allow yourself to get enamored by or seduced by a charismatic, smooth-talking spiritual leader or pastor. Hmm. That doesn't mean you can't admire someone who is a spiritual influence in your life. It doesn't mean you can't honor or respect someone. just means be careful that you are following Jesus. You're not following a leader or a pastor. Yeah. And I think that's very, very, very critical to know the distinction between the two. But I think it is a given that you should make your pastor his favorite food on a regular basis. Absolutely. And, I mean, and and just for the record, what's yours? What's yours? Uh, just street, street tacos and mm, peach cobbler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have known peach cobbler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's one of my favorite foods too. Huh. Oh yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, minus carrot cake. So I'm just mm. throwing that out there. Yeah. <clears throat> and Kool-Aid on the side. And yes. Okay. Number three. Well, when joining a church, you should know that the church has a doctrinal statement. You should know what the leadership structure of the church is. You should know, have at least a, a modicum of familiarity, familiarity with the, the financial aspects of the church. Mm-hmm. And I would like, I would like to say that seeing the church have relationship with other community churches, like what you guys do up in Murfreesboro with the community worship, for instance, in the park, mm-hmm. like that's, that's awesome. Like you, you're, reaching out to other churches and just saying, hey, let's lock arms together and let's worship and pray together. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's right right there. You know, you can't be a cult and do that, you know? No, 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 um, no, no. Yeah, so um, that, that that rids someone of the, we're, we're the only ones doing it right mentality. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this might look like a doctrinal statement on a website. This might be um, a, you know, quarterly business meeting where they go over the the financial aspects and the leadership structure and whatnot but there is transparency that's so yes. important yeah and a lot of these cults we talked about earlier and there's an element of secrecy 
Mm-hmm. And you don't know kind of a lot of these things until you get so deep in the organization that at some point you're just like, well, it's too late to turn around now. Mm-hmm. You know, so make sure you know that up front before you get in too deep. Yeah. Um, and really the last to make sure you don't get involved in a group or a cult that has these tendencies is to be careful following any group or following any leader who frequently uses guilt, manipulation, and shame as a means to control behavior. Mm. So if that's the currency the group operates in, guilt, manipulation, and shame as a means to control, um, it's not healthy, number one. Number two, like it's it's not really going to help you grow spiritually to love Jesus more because guilt, shame, and fear are like the worst motivators at all to help you mm-hmm. grow in your relationship with Christ. Um. Yeah, that's why a lot of these cults they prey on people who are who are uh, going through a traumatic experience or have mm-hmm. been through abuse themselves or like the guy in the the interview you sent me who came out of the Moonies. He had just been through yeah. a really bad breakup, and mm-hmm. so he was very vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, and I think it, identifying those feelings and making sure that no one takes advantage of that is mm-hmm. is really important. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Gabe, anything else you want to add? about uh cults or kool-aid or matching track suits or mm. sandy patty no i think we covered a lot of bases today. <laughs> <laughs> sandy sandy would be proud she would what if she starts listening what would you do what if she sends us an email and just says i, am... I think we could, i think we could have a cookout we could hang out i mean I, I think you are actually really excited by that prospect of her listening yeah i could be her drummer when she hits the road again. Go on tour. <laughs> I would even play an electric drum set for Sandy Ooh. Patty if she asked me to. Do those Which... those Phil Collins fills. Down the Via De La Rosa. There's not a Phil Collins fill in this song. Oh, man. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. If you have any feedback, questions, concerns, cries of outrage, send us an email or reach out to us via the Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.